There's a little boy who wanted to desperately play basketball figures with March Madness, doesn't it? That was his dream. That was his life's ambition. He even told his dad, you know, Dad, someday I want to go pro. The problem was he was way too short in order to make it. So one day while the dad was talking with the coach, he said, is there anything that I could do that would help him to grow a little taller? And the coach kind of laughingly said, well, you could take him down to the museum. I think there's an old English torture rack there. Put him on that and stretch him a little. See how that works. The dad smiled, and a couple weeks later when he saw the coach again, the coach said, well, has it worked? Have you stretched him at all? And the dad said, well, no. But I learned a couple of things about that he's done that I hadn't known before. You know, ambition. Ambition to do something. Ambition to be something. It's not a bad thing in itself. The problem is ambition can be misguided. Ambition can take on the form of things that are not necessarily honorable in its intentions. You know, I don't know about you, but one of our favorite shows on TV is Shark Tank. We love to watch that. In fact, some of the products there I'm just fascinated with, and I've purchased a couple. But it also fascinates me whenever you come up finally against somebody who's being offered something, that something gets in the way of that deal being made. And many times it's ambition. It is ego. It is greed. That ambition that has taken the wrong turn that now has become misguided. And you see somebody sit there with the gift in front of them that they could have, and they walk away from it because they're totally focused on themselves. You know, there are two entrepreneurs that we look at today in our gospel lesson. There were people that inherited a business from their father. They built it up. They were well-known. It was a good business. They were wealthy people. They made donations. They were known in the town, and in fact, they moved so much in the crowd of people who were known in that day that they knew the high priest personally, James and John. They weren't backseat people. They were ambitious. They were people who wanted to be known. They were people who were what we called players. So when Messiah comes and has this new kingdom that's going to be established, it's only natural in their minds that they would be people who would be influential in that new kingdom. Of course, they're thinking only earthly about it. They're thinking about Jesus setting that up in Jerusalem. But they want to be those players. They want to be those people of influence. Look again in the connection. Open your Bible to that section in Mark about James and John. Let's look at those words about them. Knowing that background, knowing who they were. Beginning at verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Don't you love that? Boy, there, there's no guile there. Those guys know what they want. They are movers and shakers. And you can almost see Jesus' reaction. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. No small thing. They were going to be main players on that stage. Well, after all, weren't they part of that inner circle already? Peter, James, and John. 
They'd been there at the transfiguration. They were always called together. They always felt that they had the kind of relationship with Jesus already where they could ask some of these things. They were influencers in their mind. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with ambition and wanting to do things unless it is misguided. They had no clue what this kingdom was about, which is why Jesus responds, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And don't you love their response? We can. They have no clue. They don't understand. In fact, they're looking for a shortcut in their ambition to get there quickly, to be in those places ahead of anyone else. There was a little boy who was learning to play t-ball and he was at his first game He got up to bat and he whacked that ball pretty good and he took off as fast as he could run to third base. The coach walked over to him and he said, you hit that ball pretty hard, didn't you? And he says, yes, I did. And he said, you ran as fast as you could, didn't you? He said, I did run as fast as I could. Coach said, well, why did you run to third base? He said, because it's a lot shorter to home from here. Shortcuts. You know, sometimes that's true in our lives. We want to find shortcuts and we want our ambition to take us place, but Jesus tells us there are no shortcuts in his kingdoms. There are no positions of favor or power to be filled by ambitions. That's why he says to James and John, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. They wanted petty positions of power and influence. But those were temporary things. That's the way of our world. The focus that they had was on them. Isn't that the way it works in our world? To rise to the top, to have that ambition, to seek that corner office, to ask for all of those things, and Jesus throws them an incredible challenge. And he throws it to us too. He said it's not about influence and power and lording it over and rising to the top. It's about living life in obscurity. It's about living life in oblivion, and the true meaning of that word, to never be noticed, to be in the back, to never be seen. You know, we hear those words this morning, and I think the truth is it scares us. It scares us to think about living a life without significance or living a life where we are no longer remembered or recognized. That's not the way of our world. We are people who want to be rewarded, who want to be remembered. We hear those words again, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Truly, it's a scary thing. Because that recognition and reward and remembrance is part of our human nature. And we look then at servanthood as Jesus calls us to that. And I think what we do then is imply and push on servanthood our ideas of how the world works. 
We look at it in that call that Jesus gives us and we see it as some enormity that we must take on. We must go out and find that thing to serve. We must perform for Jesus. We must find that one thing out there in the world that is deserving, some groveling act, something that will allow us to achieve servant status. We're also scared because it also always sounds hard, too. It's a hard thing in our lives to think about being a servant or being a slave or taking on that role that's less than recognized. We are under a curse, a curse that says whatever we put our hand to is going to be hard. Remember those words from Genesis 3, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. That curse carries on into everything that we do. We know that work is hard. We know that there is toil. We also know in our world that in that task and in that hardness is accomplishment. And the problem is we think that mission means the exact same thing. We know that we should be motivated by love and thankfulness for all that's been done for us. But we also know there are days that we just aren't in that mode. We don't feel loving and we don't feel thankful. And so the result is that what happens to us with that misguided ambition and all of those humans' emotions that we take on is that we are miserable in our service. We don't find it joyful. We find it simply a task to be checked off. You see, that's the attitude we take if we look at serving only from human eyes and human standards. But we need to remember what Jesus said after he threw that challenge out to his disciples. He said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in that verse is the key to us serving. First and foremost, in order to serve, we need to know who we are and what Jesus came for, what has been done for us, that he came to serve us, that he came to redeem us, that he came to give his life, that we might be freed in him. Yes, we look for a list of things so often to do and to accomplish, but Jesus doesn't give us a list of do's and don'ts. What Jesus comes to tell us is who we are in him, redeemed people of God, that he has poured his love and his forgiveness in. We search for some self-motivating thing in order that we might accomplish another task of serving, but Jesus doesn't ask us to do for him he does for us. Remember the verse from Philippians that says this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. You see, what Jesus tells us to do, he gives us to do. What Jesus commands us to do, he already provides for us in our lives. And what happens so often is we get lost in the weeds with worldly eyes when we look at serving our ambitions get misguided and we think about what do I bring to the table what can I do how can I figure out how to serve the correct way 
You know, in our series, we've talked many times about what it means to die to self. The truth in serving is that we bring nothing to the table. We are empty. We are people who cannot bring anything without the power of Christ in us. And that power is that we know who we are because He has redeemed us. The old is gone. The new has come. He is the one that enables us to will and to do for Him. He is the one who gives us the gifts to serve and pours them into our lives. We don't need to search for some grandiose scheme. We don't need to look into the future to say, well, someday I'll find that very thing. What we need to do is realize where we are now in our lives. This is where God has called us to serve in our spheres of influence in the people that we know, in living out our lives every day in the wonder of who Christ calls us to be and has made us in His love and His forgiveness. You see, living as forgiven and redeemed people, being restored and receiving that forgiven, being empowered by the gifts that He gives us and rising each day in the wonders of our baptism to a new slate and a new day, that is how we serve Jesus wherever we are. We don't need to set out on a quest to find it. There are people right around us every day and every moment who need what Christ has already given to you and to me. Freedom and hope, joy and love. We serve them by living out our lives as those people in Christ, loving in our spheres of influence, not tomorrow, not in the future, but right now. You see, James and John had their sights set on something that would never come, and they would learn as they went forward in life what it truly meant. James would be the first of the apostles to be martyred. John exiled on the island of Patmos. They understood the suffering that Jesus asked them to drink in that cup and to be baptized with his baptism. But more than anything, they learned what Christ had done for them on his cross and by his resurrection that he had bound them forever to himself. He had given them his love and his gifts, and he had empowered them right where they were to live out that life of service. May we realize that also in our lives. May we be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, that in our lives, in every moment that we live, we understand service is bringing the gift we have in Christ to those around us right now. Amen.